This is the Books Podcast presented by Tim Hague. It didn't matter what any critic says about Dan Brown. That book broke sales records on the day it went on sale. The hero of Heron has to have a distinctive mark. I ask you, gentlemen of the jury, is this the kind of book you like your wives and servants to read? Interview commenced at uh, 1515. Present Barry Forshaw and Tim Haig for the tape. Barry, please confirm that you are indeed Barry Forshaw. I am Barry Forshaw. You understand why you're here. You've written a book called Crime Fiction, A Reader's Guide, and you have waived your right to a solicitor. For the tape, I am showing Barry a copy of his book. Is this the book, Barry? It is, but I was persuaded to do it. It was against my will. <laughs> That's what they all say. <laughs> it's what it is. It's called a, a reader's guide. Mm. And so let's talk a little about the, the nature of the book. It's, um, it's not a history. It's uh, uh, almost a reference book, although it's, it's well enough written that it, it doesn't... Uh, it, you, you could read it from front to from back like, mm-hmm. like I did. Well, I was trying to do that as and what make it function on both levels. As you say, it is uh, a reference guide. It's a shopping list. Over the years, I noticed that a lot of people would, when I, they asked to sign books of mine, they'd show me the index, which was full of pencil ticks or even pen ticks, and they'd used it as a shopping list. And I thought, well, finally, why not one do one which is designed to do just that? And if you need to know what Raymond Chandler book to read or what Agatha Christie, it will be here. And you do, you do uh, plump as well. You do tell us which book, which is the book uh, for each author as a sort of way in or maybe the, the best one. Well, that's not very easy. It's easy if you go to, say, Chandler, who I just mentioned, because it is the big sleep. It's the first one. And, it is, and that is yeah, the best one. And still the best, I agree. I agree. And, uh, Although his others are all worth reading. They They're are. all wonderful. But Fleming, you would possibly say Casino Royale, which is his best written book. You would, no. although I, I don't like that one. Don't I never you? liked Casino. And I always thought Fleming was over, overrated. Do you? Mm. Well, I'll still like you, despite saying <laughs> that. <laughs> Actually, it's funny, because um, an earlier edition of this book, which was done for Penguin, and a line was added about Fleming by a sub-editor, Rather saying, Tim, what you just said, and I said, sorry, I didn't say this. I said, I, I did say he's a popular writer, but a, a supremely gifted popular writer. He's got his limitations. Of course yeah, he has. Course, yeah. But um, I didn't, they'd added a line about him being stodgy or something along those lines. And I took exception to that. And they said the sub-editor felt you were praising him too highly. Well, you are awfully good-natured. I mean, <laughs> you do look for the good in, in all of well, these I do. writers. And, I thought, and also, in the case of a book like this, Although I, there are dissenting notes throughout, it's not there to do any hatchet jobs on people. Absolutely. I, I, I think about the, the rudest thing you say about anybody is about Jack Higgins. You said that he's got all the customary tangled plotting bursts of action and a studied avoidance of nuance, <laughs> which um, made me laugh. Now, I'm glad that you spotted that, Tim, because that's my, been my writing style over the years. And people who know me in the, in the I or um, the FT will know that that's... That, that that line hopefully is eloquent. You, you will you will <laughs> you'll get what you'll insult. get what I'm saying. Yeah, but I'm not going to. You, you're no. not there to to no. destroy no. anybody, are you? And basically, I don't want to. If they're in the book, uh, you'll find that there are people who are in the book only peripherally. That's also a factor. And in fact, it's not just me, but if you look at any uh, major uh, crime reviewer, when they start to synopsize the plot and don't tell you much about the book, you can read between the lines. <laughs> yes, of course. <laughs> So, I, obviously, my approach to every book is that I start at the beginning or, or read all the way through. This one you really could uh, drop through, and you, you've put in an index in case people want to. And I have to confess, I couldn't resist it. As I was reading about one, oh, I wonder what he's got to say about 
oh, I don't know, Christopher Fowler, Raymond Chandler, anybody. And, and I, I could not resist going and finding them in the internet. <laughs> well, well, you know, the main thing is that the, the, I tried to get in as many crime writers as I could, not just the golden age, but current crime writers. And that's difficult. There it are is because there are, I mean, it's, it's a wonderfully comprehensive book, but even then you can't do everything. You can't do everything. But I've noticed that a lot of writers have said to me, Yes, Andrew Taylor said I bought it. And guess what I did first? I turned to the index. Of course. Well, you'd expect that, so fair enough. If I had published a crime book, I would have turned to the index first as well. I mean, and inevitably, you know, you look through and you go, oh, he hasn't got so-and-so. Yes. But you, I mean, you've done an encyclopedia of British crime writing. But even before. that had its omissions too. You, can't, you really can't win, even with this book, for instance, because I had a, a set word count. I looked at certain writers, like a writer called Caleb Carr. And he'd Who wrote The Aliens. Well, yes, you remember, remember The Alien. You, remember, you the, know your stuff. Yeah, there was another one. But uh, he, the career had seemed to stall. Mm. And just as I decided, right, if I'm going to get rid of some people, it has to be him, the TV series began. So Caleb Carr went back in. But there are writers who have forgotten. Having said that, as a writer, Tim, have you heard of a writer called Alan Williams? Now, him I don't know. Okay, nobody does these days except people of my age, I think. He's the son of Emlyn Williams, the actor, who was That's also right. a writer. And he's in the book, yeah. He's in the book. Yeah. And uh, Alan Williams is a really good writer with a very Eric Ambler-like vivid adventure stories, espionage. And I thought, the books, some of them been reprinted. Let's put that in for somebody who doesn't just want to read about Christie and Dashiell Hammett. So hopefully there are discoveries for people. Oh, I'm sure there are, because I, I don't know how many. You you probably have an idea of how many uh, writers you've been able to reference. but there are, I lost track. Oh, did you? Because <laughs> yeah. there are hundreds and hundreds. Yeah. I mean, people were coming in and going out, and then even right up to the line, the publisher was saying, have you got this person in? And I mm, yes. So people were being added and subtracted right to the end, mostly added. I looked for um, I looked for Mark Gatiss because I liked his. Do you remember his Lucifer box? Yes, he wrote three books about a, a very very camp Victorian sleuth called Lucifer Box. Um, he didn't make it. No, he didn't make. And uh, he was on in the in the in the cut at one point. So, for instance, Kim Newman, who's uh, is a friend of Mark's, and uh, uh, Kim writes about Sherlock Holmes, as does Mark, of course. He made the cut just because I think he's still read more than Mark's books are. Aficionados like yourself know about those books of Mark, but they're kind of not that well known. No, they're not. So, uh, apart from... Uh, we were talking about the nature of the book, um, and we, we said it's, uh, it's not, it's not uh, encyclopedic. What you have done, though, is, as well as strictly crime books... You've included thrillers, um, and I, I, you know, as I was starting to read it, I, I thought oh, I'm going to have a, I'm going to query him about that. Right. Why do we have thrillers as well? Uh, not that I have anything against thrillers, no. but if you're going to leave out certain crime books, because I think, well, you you could say that if you put in, there are certain thriller writers. For instance, Eric Ambler is yeah. in there. Now, is Eric Ambler a crime writer or a thriller writer? Over the years, he was marketed as both. Uh, when I did The Guardian, which I don't do these days so much, I would argue with discuss with Laura Wilson who did who did the crime I did thrillers for them we would decide what the difference between the crime novel and the thriller was do you know what our definition was I'm, I'm going to okay you will we decided that the stakes had to be higher in a thriller there had to be a virus that would wipe out everyone in London and that had to be found in a crime novel it's usually smaller. Usually, they're not, they're not global. Somebody's getting killed. Yes, yeah, somebody's getting killed. And also, in terms of violence, so in a crime novel, the detective will be in threat, danger of his life, towards the end. 
in a thriller, it's throughout. It's from chapter one onwards and so forth. But also the main reason, Tim, is I I don't really welcome the distinction. Okay. I think it's too difficult Good to draw it in many books. Is it? Oh, well, you're right. No, there, of course, there are lots of uh, lots of books that or thrillers within which crimes are committed. And yes. Oh, where are we at then? What is this? Uh? Well, you could take a book like Rogue Mail by Jeffrey Household, mm. which I'm sure you know. That is clearly a thriller because it's the hero is on the run, he goes to Earth, uh, he's being chased by Nazis and so forth. That's clear there. But there are other books where the distinction is not so clear. We touched on the question of, of uh, quality. Um, and how how nice you are about everybody. Some of these writers, though, you must you must be able to see are um, are not up to stuff. I I I I made a note um, of Dan Brown because you include him. <laughs> how and did he, I know you were going to start talking about Dan Brown, Tim? <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, but uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I did read uh, the uh, what was it called? The Da Vinci, oh, the da Vinci Code, Code yes. which I thought was subliterate. Yes. I thought it was like a, a four hundred page film treatment, and it made a good film. Um, how much do you feel a responsibility distinguish, distinguish between? I don't know. There's you've got uh, Graham Greene in here. You've yes. got uh, John Le Carre, who are probably wonderful slightly novelists, better writers. Wonderful yes. novelists. In um, fact, the best. As you well, uh, in Graham terms Green, of greatest yeah. novelist of the twentieth century. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, yeah. And 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 John Le Carre actually first rate. So I mean, you do, and, and well, Raymond Chandler and Dashiell Hammett. We we cover an enormous canvas here. Mm. But Dan Brown's interesting. You say that because I've had to cover uh, one of his books, The Lost Symbol. For I was reviewing it for a newspaper. It arrived on a milk run. I had to have it delivered in the wee small hours. I knew it was arriving at two o'clock because I had to deliver the copy the next day. And I remember writing when I wrote that. It didn't matter what any critic says about Don Br Dan Brown. That book broke sales records on the day it went on sale. Uh, so you could also argue, and I'm being generous here, you've accused me of being generous, so I'm going to agree with <laughs> yes. it, that um, he must be doing something right because you will find an awful lot of people who won't agree with your distinction, which is, I think, the correct one. But he's doing something right because people are reading him and, and uh, loving his books. There is something to be said for being a t page turner. Yes, which I he certainly is. You know, I mean, you, you're right about the lack of style. It, it's kind of a mess stylistically, but it is a page turner, and that's a virtue. It, oh, of course it is, and and it turns into a decent film yes, when you do that indeed. as well. Before we talk about films, I want to talk about um, the heroes within these uh, books. If you've got a successful um, hero, you, you're made. They they become icons of popular culture. Sherlock Holmes is obviously going to be our, our our sort of starting point. But there are there are lots of other. But what is he? What what makes a hero so memorable? Well, there's a writer who is. Um, I said earlier how I, it was my job to get people reading Alan Williams. Yeah. The other person I think people should be reading, and I hope you have Tim. And if you haven't, start. Which is Ross Macdonald. No, I haven't. Ooh. And you like Chandler? Yes. Well, he's different. You know, I haven't read Jim Thompson either, but oh, I'm going okay. to. But will, Ross MacDonald, yeah. tell me about Ross MacDonald, very prolific writer. You'll see that uh, on my shelves, uh, it's uh, a great, uh, great swathe of them. He's like Chandler. He has a tough uh, private eye who's a bit of a cheat because Marlowe is an unreal figure, really. He's this kind of slightly poetic knight errant with a, a gift mm. for badinage. He's also a tough... You know, and, mm. and and Chandler was aware such a man was not real. You know, not real. Ross MacDonald's hero, Lou Archer, however, is more of a psychologist. The books are an examination of the psychology of family and society. 
and they're all wonderful books. What makes him distinctive is this fact that he examines that the American nuclear family in a way that Chandler didn't do. That wasn't Chandler. No, interest yeah. at all. Yeah. <laughs> a family for Chandler was some old bloke in a mansion and a wayward daughter or two. Yes, quite. <laughs> that was yeah, his idea. But I think it's, you get those, uh, the, the hero or heroine has to have a distinctive mark. And the trouble now is that they've all been done to death. So you can't anymore say feisty female anthropologist or forensic scientist. They're no, just, been done, uh, they're just too many. Yeah, that, Patricia uh, Cornwell's yes. had one. and uh, but Exactly. But in fact, it started with uh, an earlier writer, Ed McBain, of course. Yes. He was, I did an interview with him years ago. He was quite annoyed that there were so many women, not mainly women, writing about forensic scientists. He did it first, but didn't see. I said, well, they spotted that this was a, a gap in the market and parlayed it into this great success. The trouble, um, I'd say now the problem is with a hero, to answer your question, is every trope has been examined and done, so it's basically variations on the theme. Yeah. And, and every, some, everybody will try and think of a, a, a USP. You've got Jeff Lindsay with his Dexter, yes. the, the serial killer who works as a forensic scientist, which made a, actually a jolly good TV mm, show. A clever I thought idea. The, the TV show was a lot better than the book. Yes. Um, but that happens sometimes. We might come back to that as well. Um, I wanted to ask you about uh, Maygray. I've, I've come to Simonon late. Mm. In the past few years, I've read a handful, um, well, actually quite a lot. Um, Maygray, uh, Simonon has a genius for almost not telling you anything, but by the end, you know. Mm. It's not surprising that so many writers like André Gide and Aldous Huxley were great admirers of his. And you feel that if Hemingway had read him, for precisely the reasons you just gave, he would have admired him because everything is stripped to the bone. Yeah. If I wrote a, a crime novel, which I don't, I have no interest in doing so, I couldn't write like that. I would be f adding filigrees and riffs and, and scene descriptions. He doesn't do that. He does just the minimum that's required. But the interesting thing about Simonon is the fact that people often say to me, I read one novel and it wasn't, you know, it was good, but it wasn't that special. I think you need to read a lot of Simonon. I think you do. And then you get that you get the the sense of what he's doing throughout seventy five books. Yeah, and he he he, he sort of. He doesn't, it, almost nothing happens, and yet by the end it's all happened. It's, yes, it's, exactly. it's a really clever trick. Well, Penguin, of course, has reissued all 75 in new translations. And what's quite interesting is that they've, the new translators, possibly because they're all younger and they're contemporaries, have removed one element which doesn't wear well in Seminar, which is this slight element of anti Semitism, uh, which is in the books. So I think there's a description of one of the Jewish characters in one of them, I can't remember which one, where she is described as having a Semitic turn of feature. It's not necessarily racist, but now the line makes you, brings you up short. And I think the new translation says something like she had dark features. Uh -huh. And I found myself thinking, mm, I don't know, you know. I, I, well, I, you've got to take it on board. It's, I it's to, seminal. I want to ask about that because there is all this, a lot of, a lot of books have gone out of print and um, sometimes we're bringing them back into print. I'm not sure all of them deserve to be brought back into print. Simonon, Certainly, mm. um, but again, I, I would want the I would want the text that was there. Um, yes, absolutely. Well, you mentioned the greatest no British novelist, Graham Greene. There is definitely a strain of anti-Semitism mm. in his work. Um, John Buchan earlier it has the problems, but you could go into poetry, couldn't you? So Larkin has uh, yeah. has some very strongly anti-Semitic lines. Uh, Eliot Pound. All of these great writers uh, are not ideal in, in their thinking. And Virginia Woolf, who believed, as did H.G. was in eugenics. So these writers, do we not read them anymore? 
the way we're supposed to cast out people now because they've had sexual indiscretions? Do we just cancel them? I'm not one for cancelling writers or filmmakers. No, and yet that is very much the spirit of the age. But there are, I mean, there's a lot of, uh, of, of well, we were talking about heroes. A lot of heroes who, are, who have been lost or... or not so much lost, but forgotten. If they're remembered at all, they're remembered from films. You know, your Richard Hannay's in the Thirty Nine yes. Steps, and your your Sappers, Bulldog Drummond. I mean, well, it's interesting. Nobody reads Bulldog it's interesting Drummond. you should say that because the the kernel of uh, the crime fiction readers guide was a book I did for Penguin years ago called Rough Guide to Crime Fiction, which is kind of basically just a tiny frag fragment of this. At the time, the first editor for the book said to me, "Why have you got Sapper in there?" And I said, well, because, you know, there'd be no James Bond. He's the first clubland hero, Bulldog Drummond, as a pause. And he said to me, well, wasn't Sapper an anti-Semitic old bastard? I said, well, yes, but nevertheless, we can't write him out of history. Take him out. A new editor came on the book, and he said to me, you're talking about espionage, but you don't seem to mention Sapper. <laughs> I said, well, and I think we can't rewrite history that... Um, these, these people existed. I was very sorry then, Richard Hannay, as you mentioned him, uh, for the years in the West End, the 39 Steps was treated with contempt, really. A clubland hero was a figure of fun. And I, I want Hannay to be a, a hero you An can still, hero. You can can still invest in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, all right, there are things that date. The clubland attitudes date. But that's okay. We can take them on board. We're, readers are generally more intelligent. We can we can put things into context, can't we? I'm going to get into trouble with you again. I wasn't a big admirer of the Thirty Nine Steps either. The novel, mm. interesting that. Whereas to me, that's still one of the great British novels with a great sense of place. You mentioned you like Rogue Mail, which um, mm. which also has a similar the Jeffrey Household yeah, book. Yeah, yeah, has a, a same sense of place. And I think actually going back to what you said about thrillers, that's crucial to a thriller. The sense oh, of oh, and crime as well. It's quite interesting that that um, crime writers tend very, very much to uh, to lodge their heroes in a particular milieu. People people will sort of uh, adopt or or I don't know annex a, a place. There are lots of London crime writers, but there'll be somebody who's doing crime in Blackpool somewhere. Yes, pretty well everywhere. Well, I know a writer. You've got Rebus uh, up in in uh, you know in Scotland. There was a Welsh writer I knew some years ago who said that he had real difficulty getting his books published because nobody assumed that Wales had any crime. Scotland, fine. Edinburgh, rife with crime. London, as you say. And now there are Welsh uh, crime writers. It's, I bet uh, there's one who's specific to the Gower Peninsula. I'm sure there is. And uh, there's almost not, it's like with historical crime, there is not a period of history where there hasn't been uh, an, an anachronistic detective plumped down. Lindsay Davis writes wonderful books mm, about Falco. Right, yeah. There were no detectives in ancient Rome. She knows perfectly well there weren't. So she creates a man who can function as a as an investigator. But, I mean, we accept that because it's a convention. After all, novel, crime novels, more than, more than what we're going to call literary fiction, insofar as you can distinguish them, crime novels are, are a machine. They have to work in a particular yes, way, don't they? Yes, that's so, well put. They are they're a machine, and the, the components have to be there. Like a symphony has to have a, a structure and you know, sonata form in music. So crime thrillers have to have that same structure. We do demand it, which you wouldn't necessarily for literary fiction. And they have to work through the tropes, and they have to work through to their conclusion in, in, the, right, in the right way, don't they? They're, yes. they're, you can't go too too. Well, you couldn't directions. write a novel like Ulysses, so you have, if, if Joyce is saying, mm. well, it's about a man in, in mm. Dublin in 1904, tries to sell some advertising while his wife is screwing a, a tenor, 
what a great plot that is that's wonderful that's clearly the, going to be the novel of the 20th century but it was <laughs> so uh was a crime simply a crime novel can do that although you can experiment with the form the the place though is i'm, I'm going to suggest is as important as the hero for for most crime novels evoking a sense of place seems to be uh something that that they all need to do, I mean, I, and I, I could do example. You know, I, I, I read a lot of Janet Ivanovich, those sort of comedy crime mm, things that Steph, she sets in Stephanie in Plum. New Jersey, in in, in Trenton, I guess, isn't it? It's, mm. it's an actual place in New, and you know that the location is is Chandler in in Los Angeles. Mm. You know, you you couldn't take these characters out of there. And no, and James Elroy later, uh, so uh, so many writers of Carl Harrison in yes, Florida. Yes, although yes, he does. However, having Florida. said that, it's quite interesting that something that's I spotted. I've written quite a few books on Scandinavian crime, mm -hmm. and I'm kind of regarded as the Scandinavian guy, unless somebody else has got my, uh, has biting at my heels. And I realised something about a lot of Scandinavian crime novels is that they don't have a great sense of place. We assume they do because we're filtering in what we've seen on TV. Yeah, the, we see Wallander or, or, the, or, yeah, or um, the girl with the dragon tattoo. Yeah, all of that is or. so. But I was reading several writers and thinking, actually. This could be Manchester or Birmingham. There's not a great sense of place, but as you're reading Scandinavian crime fiction, you're you're filling it in mentally. And as you said earlier, some writers like Simonon can just use a few words, and they've got a sense of place. You make a reference to uh, Martin Cruz Smith and Gorky Park. Mm. He he makes that in fantastically vivid. That, you know that uh, Moscow yes. um, uh, setting is extremely vivid. It, it's not that you can't do it. You can't make people shiver while they're reading no. it. But he's done something else. Going back to what you said about the the characteristics of the hero, he's part of a movement which is to which is to have the honest noble. That's the wrong word, but the honest cop in a corrupt regime. Mm. which has been done so often now, but the best of them is uh, uh, Renko in the, in the Martin Cruz Smith books. You remind me when you uh, refer to uh, the Nordic uh, thrillers and the Nordic noir um, that I have read the Stig Larsson uh, trilogy, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo and so on. Um, and of course, they're being, they're being continued by somebody else. Yes, David Lagerkrantz. Now, I, how do we feel about that? Because it, it's not it's not... That unusual. Mike Ripley's doing Campion, yes, you know, the yes. Marjorie Allingham character. We've got uh, Sophie Hanna, I think, yes, is, is doing right Poirot. Poirot, isn't yes. she? Um, is, I mean, everybody his brother's done James Bond. Yes, quite. <laughs> Although the best of them is still Kingsley Amis, the first one. Mm, that's Robert right. Markham, yes. and, uh, most of the others actually don't come off, no. I think. Um, well, the David Lagergren's an interesting one. I've met him a few times. He's a very interesting character, very lively, very energetic figure. I never met Stieg Larsson, although I did write the first biography uh, shortly. Well, he died time. at 50, didn't he? Yes, he, he was, did. Yeah. Yes, he had the um, the classic lifestyle of the journalist, which is uh, pizzas and 60 cigarettes a day mm. and totally sedentary, unlike you and I, who are in the peak of <laughs> physical <laughs> right. fitness. Yes, but, uh, but, Adonis is but, sitting here. But David Lagerkrantz, I noticed about the first book, I said, where is the massive sexual violence? And he said, well, do you really want that? I said, well, no, I'm just saying that that's what powers the three Stieg Larsson books. Mm. She is kind of a serial victim. She is what um, what English judges once would have said is a woman who's asking for it. She's raped so often. It's <laughs> But it's actually, it's, it's a tactic by Stieg Larsson to give this revenge motif. If you mess with Lisbeth Salander, you will pay a bloody heavy price. 
David Lagercrown said, I wasn't interested in dealing with the sexual violence and it had been done so much. But by doing that, he makes her slightly less interesting. In those three books, she's a very damaged woman. And by the end of it, she's achieved some kind of equilibrium. If she carries on, she's just another heroine, dare I say it. You had fun writing this book. And um, one of the things you've done is um, you, you've also referenced uh, the screen adaptations. And of course you have, because there's no way of getting away from the symbiosis between uh, crime and thrillers and and screen adaptations. Um, how do you feel when they change the hero for... I mean, I always thought Inspector Morse was very different in the books than he was in on, on television. Uh, you, you mentioned Jonathan Gash's uh, Lovejoy, who's not... Uh, same as he is on TV, um, um, and um, oh, they made, they made a film of uh, Lawrence Block's uh, burglar books, mm. where Bernie Rodenbar, a middle-aged Jewish guy who's a burglar, was played by Whoopi Goldberg. Yes. Um, how do we feel about that? Well, when it's, they it's change a, the character. It essentially doesn't matter. Lee Childs. Uh, Jack Reacher. Re yeah. Well, Lee Childs played by Tom Cruise, yeah, tiny I, little actor, <laughs> no bigger than your thumb. I did say to Lee fairly early on in his his publisher was worried because she was standing next to me. I said, so how tall is Tom Cruise again? <laughs> and he didn't answer. He, he knew exactly where he was going. He said, do you think Tom Cruise is a good actor? I said, yes, of course he is. Rain Man Prude, he's a really good actor mm. as well as a star. And he said, so people will go and see those movies. They won't blame me. He said, "My and as Stephen King has said, my books are still on the shelf. Whatever happens to them in the films, nobody blames me for that. Mm. And of course, I actually think Jack Reacher is being recast for the TV series now. So, yes. But I think it's inevitable. Uh, any film of a book is going to uh, do major surgery, sometimes for the better. So The Godfather, for instance, is a better, richer film than the book. Where... Is crime fiction going? Has it has it run its course? Uh, you you said that the, the all, all the tropes have been have been have been used. So is there is there anything left to do? It's very difficult, isn't it? There are still some new notions that suddenly appear. An English writer, fellow Liverpudlian of mine, Imran Mahmood, wrote a book in which the central character, the whole book, is the defence statement of a young black uh, guy who's up for a crime, and it hadn't been done before. But the trouble is. The trope that's most common now in, in domestic law is the woman who finds that her husband may have been a killer and the marriage may be built on a lie, which actually, of course, is Jane Eyre and is also, <laughs> is also Rebecca. So, okay, uh, people are still buying that in the thousands. Or the other current trope that I get every other book is a group of friends meet after 30 years ago. They went on holiday once and one of their number died. And it's actually a horror film. I yeah, saw what I you know did what last you did summer. Last yeah. Yeah, it was actually done in horror films. Before. But now it's become the ultimate cliche. Uh, Donna Tartt uh, did the novel, of course, of the friends who cover up a murder and pay a heavy price years later. I think the problem is there's such a demand for product. There's so many books out there. It's, it's not like there's any slowdown, is it? No, it isn't. But clearly it is possible for new books to appear. Gone Girl is a good example, which do something different and something original. Uh, a writer called Abia Mukherjee, young Anglo-Asian writer, his books have um, an, English, um, an English investigative figure with a Asian, they're set at the time of the Raj, an Asian assistant. But what he cleverly does is he makes the Asian assistant, who you think is the Watson figure, is actually the cleverer of the two. 
I've finally, I've, I've got one more question, which I've always wanted to know the answer to. Why do readers of crime fiction, so much more than uh, other readers, why do they love long series about the same detective so much? Because crime is, is noted for these long, uh, these long strings of uh, novels about the same. Isn't it era. because, in the, um, not so much in this era, but in any era, they function as like comfort food. So, for instance, if you turn on television, you will find an episode of Only Fools and Horses or an episode of Friends playing. Or you Murder, c- She Wrote. Yeah, or Murder, She Wrote. Hmm. That's a good example. You know exactly where you are with each of those. And, in fact, you would watch five, ten minutes of one of those shows, even if you'd seen it or not seen it, because you know exactly what the milieu is, you know what the dynamic between the characters is. I think it is that. It's the fact that we like to... Uh, and why you say about James Bond, so many people have tackled James Bond. To a degree, Bond's continuing success as a literary character is because he is a bit of a blank, because Fleming calls him a blunt instrument for the mm. state and doesn't characterize him too much beyond that, apart from the accoutrements, what he likes to eat and drink and the women he sleeps with. But it, it, there's a satisfying... There's a, also the satisfying sense of closure that all crime fiction gives us. And murder is comforting. It is. Well, also, it's the it's a simple, um, in our lives, I'm sure it's happened to you, Tim, there are people who annoy us. <laughs> and so yeah. what we have to do is bite our tongue. And we can't usually say what we really want. So crime fiction, I think that's the main function of crime fiction, the catharsis. Even the Sarkozy crime, somebody dies violently. And we can enjoy that while we wouldn't dream of doing it ourselves, hopefully. But we can enjoy the catharsis and the closure that a crime novel brings. Well, that uh, bring brings a closure to um, our interview as well, which is terminated at... Oh, no, who knows? <laughs> uh, Barry, thank you very much. I really enjoyed Crime uh, Fiction. Thank you, Tim. Crime Fiction, The Reader's Guide by Barry Forshaw is published by Oldcastle Books at £12.99. That was Books Podcast, presented by Tim Haig. Books Podcast is a Green Shoot production. You can find out more at www.green-shoot.com and Tim can be contacted on tim at green-shoot.com.